0: Good morning, happy Father's Day. My name's Darren, and uh, I'll add my welcome to the one you already received. I'm one of the shepherds on staff and excited to be studying Ecclesiastes with you this morning. If you have a Bible, uh, maybe you've already turned to Ecclesiastes 12, or if you've got it on a device or whatever, we want you to be with us. Let me say this too, if you're a guest with us, uh, whether you've come with friends or maybe you're uh, you're in for the EFCA conference this week, maybe you're here from the neighborhood, uh, regardless of what brings you as a guest, let me make sure you hear me say, we're happy that you're here as a guest, but we hope that you won't stay a guest. We'll hope that over time, this would become your home, and that you would feel like family around here, and anything I can do uh, as part of the official staff, if I can do anything to help you make that journey from visitor to family member, man, I'd love to know what that is, and and I'd love to be part of that journey with you, so keep me posted. Now, you're grabbing us uh, this week at a good time. We are almost done with an ongoing study in the book of Ecclesiastes, so we got two weeks left. We're here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Uh, We'll finish our study next week in Ecclesiastes. We'll have a response Sunday the following week, and then this summer, uh, later... Later in the summer we'll be beginning what uh, will be like a two-summer series called uh, Who Are You Calling Minor Prophets? And we'll be looking at each of the minor prophets uh, two weeks at a time. We'll do, this summer we'll do Hosea, Joel, Amos, and Obadiah. Next summer we'll kick uh, into the others. But know that that's coming here pretty quick, but uh, we're excited that you're here this morning as we open Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Now, what we find as we come to Ecclesiastes 12 is the very final time in the course of this book that we're hearing the voice of the preacher or the teacher. Uh, We talked at the very beginning about the fact that there is someone called Kohelet. That's spelled with a Q, and that's not a proper name, nor is it uh, attested to anywhere else in uh, ancient language. The the word Kohelet means, uh, here it's translated the preacher. Some people will call him the teacher or the prophet. Some people call him the oracle. Uh, Essentially, the word Kohelet means means a gatherer of an assembly, right? So it's sort of hard to put it in a category, but we hear two voices in the book of Ecclesiastes. We hear the voice of the narrator at the very beginning, and we hear that narrator voice at the end again. We'll be looking at that next week. And in the middle, we hear the voice of this gatherer of assemblies, right? And week after week, what we've heard are his observations about the world as a result of having tried a lot of different things, uh, having been in power, having had money, having had influence, all these things, and ultimately finding, uh, after everything he's seen, that existence, he would say. Is uh, Hevel, or sometimes that's translated meaningless. The word Hevel literally means vapor, or it's like a smoke that you can't really hold on to. It's there for a little while and it disappears. In the final testimony, Kohelet has said, "Like I've seen everything there is to see, and I have to tell you, there's an absurdity to all of life. It doesn't make sense. While he's a faithful man, he says there is a God and God is control in control and he has organized all these things. But to be honest with you, Kohelet would say, uh, I don't necessarily like the way he's organized things. And a lot of times it doesn't make sense to me. And there are all kinds of things in the world that I find confounding and things I would do differently if it was up to me. And so in the final uh, sort of equation... What Kohelet is saying is things just don't add up, right? And and so here as we come to the end of the last place we're hearing his voice, he turns his attention once again. He's already talked about death and the fact that because death is the great equalizer, everything is hevel or everything is vapor, right? Here in the end, he begins by telling us there's a season coming for all of us and it's the final season, right? He turns his attention to old age and to death in this sort of last section to remind us again, as he says in verse eight, that everything in his, uh, in his opinion is meaningless, Uh, and it's a little bit of a wake up call. Like this is kind of heavy. There's a lot of poetic language. It's very beautiful to read, but there's heavy sentiment in what he's saying. And sometimes a wake up call is good. I, uh, I, I know it's father's day. I'm wearing my, uh, Dodger shirt that my kids gave me today. I know some of you don't like that and too bad. Uh, we lost to our rivals, the giants last night, 15 to zero. I heard that applause. How dare you? I will find you later. Uh, I, uh, I got this shirt for Father's Day. I also got a pair of socks for my wife for Father's Day. I got a pair of socks. They say on them, uh, trophy husband. Can you see that? <laughs> trophy husband. I was pretty excited when she gave them to me. It seemed like a really nice thing. And then this morning when I was getting ready for church, I saved them to wear for the first time today on Father's Day. I was getting ready for church this morning and I cut the tag off and I looked at the tag on the socks and it comes from a company called Joke Socks. I wasn't feeling real great. Do you think that's funny? I wasn't real pleased by that, right? I thought like this is such a, a nice affirmation. Trophy husband socks. Like who else has those? But they're joke socks. So I don't, now I don't know what to think. Um, there's a little bit of a wake-up call, right? There's a little bit of a wake-up call there. Here in Ecclesiastes twelve one through 8, there is a call for us to remember. Look at verse 1. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. That word remember, by the way, doesn't mean to recollect something you may have forgotten. What it means is to keep in mind or to keep at the forefront of your mind. To carve it into your knowledge and understanding, if you will, right? He says, remember. Remember. Don't forget, hold on to this pinnacle of truth, remember your creator. Now it's, it's worth noting here that he doesn't just say remember your creator the way it gets quoted a lot of times. He says remember also your creator. And the reason he says also there is because this is a continuing flow of thro- thought from what he's already said in chapter 11. Uh, remember that in our Bibles, in our modern day Bibles, all these chapter and verse divisions, those are laid over the text. They don't exist there originally. So I kind of want to back up a little bit because I want you to see the flow of his thought as he reminds us to remember our creator. Back up with me, if you will, to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I'm grateful for the teaching that Dr. Muehlhoff did last week. I hope some of you took Tim's challenge and you tried out his experiment and then you readily gave up on that when you realized the futility of it, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 8, uh, Kohelet is saying at the end of that chapter, there are going to be these seasons of life. He's been saying that all the way through. There are going to be seasons that are hard. There are going to be seasons that are good. There are going to be seasons that are fun. There are seasons that are full of cheer. And what he's telling us uh, kind of through the whole book is that we are seasonal people. That we live in temporal seasons. And sometimes it feels like the season we're in is going to last forever. But one of Kohelet's frustrations is, I know that God has organized things into seasons. I know that there's a time to plant and a time to harvest. There's a time to live and a time to die, all these things. But I don't know what season I'm in. I don't get any say in it. And sometimes I don't necessarily know that I like the season God has chosen for me, right? So here at the end of uh, Ecclesiastes 11, in verse 8, he's talking about the good times of life. And he says, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity or heavil. Rejoice, O oh young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth in the dawn of life or vanity. So he's already encouraged the reader to remember a couple of things. He says, hey, you might be in a a season of joy and a season of cheer. And if you are, good for you. But like while you're in the middle of that, enjoy it. Soak it up. Store it away. But never lose sight of, never fail to remember that there are also dark days coming, right? That all the days aren't gonna be like this, that all the days aren't gonna feel joyful and cheerful. So when you're in the cheerful days, he says, remember that there are dark days coming as well. He goes on to say, hey, when you're young and when you're in the season of youth, he goes, you know, enjoy what's before you. Enjoy whatever your eyes see. But remember that God's gonna judge you, right? So there's this remembrance that God's gonna hold you accountable for the choices you make. So while you should soak up these seasons of cheer, he says, don't lose sight of the reality that it's not gonna all be sunshine and rainbows and that whatever you choose to do and you got lots of options, God will call you to account for those. Remember, this also is vanity. So when he gets to 12 and he says, remember also, it's a continuation of that thought. Remember that there are good days and there are bad days. Remember that you got lots of choices in front of you, but God will keep you accountable for those. And now he gets to twelve one and he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the days of evil come, before the days of pain, when you'll say, I have no pleasure in them. When he says, remember also your creator, there is a sort of a common mistake that happens, right? And I've heard lots of people preach uh, Ecclesiastes twelve one, and what they sometimes do here in Ecclesiastes twelve one is they say, he says... Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And what that means is you should accept Jesus into your heart while you're a teenager, right? Young people who are listening, make sure you believe in Jesus before you get too old because you don't know when you're going to die. You don't know how many days you've got. So it's important to put your faith in Christ before you get too old, right? Well, listen, that's a good message, right? The message of like, hey, you don't know how long you're going to live. So you should put your faith in Jesus before you die. I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment, But that's not what's being taught in Ecclesiastes 12, right? So we've talked a lot in our study of Ecclesiastes about how easy it is to take a passage and sort of railroad it into something else you want to say when that's not exactly the intent of the original writer, right? It would not make sense in this particular place in the midst of all of the other things he said where he's going, wow, everything is empty and everything is absurd for him to say, also, believe in God when you're still a kid because that's the best time to do it, right? That's not exactly what he's saying. In light of everything else that he said, what he's saying is when things are good and when you're able to make choices and when you're able to go where you want to go and do what you want to do and there's seasons of joy and cheer, don't forget, he says, in those moments that there is a creator and you're not him. Don't forget that there is a God in the universe and that isn't you. Because the danger for us, the danger for us as created beings can sometimes be that in the, in the seasons of joy, right? When you finally married the love of your life, or you were finally able to buy your first house, or you got that promotion that you've been working on at work, or whatever the season of joy is, when you're taking your family on a trip to Disneyland or whatever, it can be easy in those moments of happiness and cheer to feel like, look what I've accomplished. I saved up my money and I was able to buy this house. I met the guy of my dreams. Look, we just had our first baby. Look how beautiful our new baby boy is or whatever. And in those moments, you can say, I'm the king of the world, right? Look at what I've accomplished. I've achieved my dreams. I bought the house that I wanted. I'm living the life that I dreamed of. In a moment of cheer, in a moment where things things are going well, it can be very easy to get confused about where all that stuff comes from. And we can start to believe that we are the source of our joy, That we are the source of our success. He says, remember your creator in those times of goodness. Remember your creator, carve it into your heart during the seasons of cheer. Because you can fall into the trap otherwise of seeing yourself as the source of your power and your wealth and your influence, your health, success, pleasure, etc. When things are good, we don't tend to think about our lack of control. Does that make sense? When things are going good, when you're getting the things you want, and it feels like, man, this is the time of our life, there's not a lot of opportunity in the good seasons to think about how powerless you are or how little you know, right? And the distortion that can happen is you start to see yourself as the giver of all the good things in your life. Even though you wouldn't technically answer that way on a test, it can start to feel like that. Look at how good things are going. I I have accomplished my goals, right? He says, no, no, when you're young and things are good, Remember that there is a creator. Remember your creator, that you are a creature, that you are by nature a creation, that there is someone who has more power than you and more knowledge than you. Keep that in the forefront of your mind during the good times, because the bad times will come. And it's very difficult to go through the difficult times, even the ultimate difficult time, if you have not remembered that there's a God and you're not him. It's interesting in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, uh, Jesus tells the parable of the rich fool. Somebody in the crowd had shouted out, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me.'" In verse 14, Jesus said to a "'Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you.'" Which is an interesting thing for Jesus to say because he's the king of the universe, but he told them a parable, right? And he says, "'The land of a rich man produced plentifully.'" And he thought to himself, "'What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops.'" He said, "'I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods.'" And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We can all fall into that trap of saying, soul, look at all you've accomplished. Look at what you've saved. Look at what you've uh, gathered, right? And yet we forget that there is a God who is bigger than us, that there are things that are out of our control in those, in those seasons of cheer, those seasons of blessing. Similarly, James 4.13, in a, in a passage that sounds very Ecclesiastes-like, says this, "'Come now, you who say today or tomorrow "'we'll go into such and such a town "'and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, "'yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, "'for what is your life? "'You're a mist that appears for a little time "'and then vanishes.'" You know what that sounds like? It sounds like Hevel, Right? He says, you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James is saying the exact same thing, that there are gonna be these moments where you're gonna be tempted to sort of pound your chest and go, look at my kingdom, right? Look at what I've accomplished And you'll feel like you're in control. You'll feel like you've got power, but you're fooling yourself. You forget that there is a God and he is in control. He knows what you don't know. He is the one that that controls the future. So back to Ecclesiastes 12. After everything else, Kohelet is saying, when you're young, when you have choices, when you have options, when things are going swimmingly, remember you're a creature. Remember you have a creator. Remember that you don't have all the power or all the knowledge, but there is someone else that does before the evil days come. In the midst of my study this week, uh, I, I read a quote, and I forgot to write down the source, so forgive me. I Maybe mean, I'll bring this back to me next week. But somebody says he's reminding us that there is a final time for every familiar journey. There's a final time for every familiar journey. For each and every one of us, there are places that you love to go. You know, there's a, There is a day when you'll take your last family vacation. And I know that's sombering, right? There is a day when you'll go to your favorite restaurant for the last time. There's a day when you'll listen to your favorite songs for the last time. Kohelet is trying to put this in front of us and say, remember there's a day coming when all the joy you currently feel and all of that optimism and hope will go away because it'll be your last time around the sun. It'll be your last journey. And so then he gives us this poetic language in Ecclesiastes 12. And most, uh, there's some debate over the interpretation on these things, but most people agree that he is describing old age that he's describing that sort of of end-of-life season in very beautiful and poetic language. He uses a couple of different types. He talks about a storm. Uh, He talks about a household, including both the house itself and the people within it. And then he also talks about a couple of tools. There are some people who see this as one sort of long-flowing thought, and there are others who sort of want to pull apart each individual phrase What I'd like for you to do is just listen to his poetry. That's what poetry is intended to do. And I want you to feel what he's trying to get you to feel as he quotes this. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say I have no pleasure in them. And then here he sort of switched into this poem. He says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. This first image is a picture of a storm. And uh, theologians, some, some of them say he's talking about the end of human history, right? It's interesting that he says the sun and the light. So that distinction that he makes is, is peculiar. But I think for the sake of what he's talking about, he's talking about a, 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 a time when things grow dim. There is a season of life, right? Bef- before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Think about the timing on that. The clouds return after the rain. Most of us get through the rainstorms by saying what? The sun's going to shine on the other side, right? The sun will break through these clouds. The rain's not going to last forever. He says there's a season coming in your life where it will rain and the clouds will remain. They will reform after the storm when there is no sunshine coming after. That's what he's saying. There's a storm on the horizon. He says remember that you're a creature and not the creator before that storm arrives. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Verse 3, he starts to talk about this house. He says, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. Most agree that he's using poetic language here to describe our physical bodies in different ways. He says, there's, and he uses characters in the house, but he says, the keepers of the house tremble. The idea is, is that your knees start to knock and your legs become weak, right? The strong men are bent. Your back starts to arch. As you get older, you can't hold that weight anymore, right? He says, the grinders cease because they are few. That's an interesting picture until you think of grinders as teeth. And you think, oh yeah, there's a day coming when, it, it, you know, dentistry is better now than it was, you know, when this was written, but... Your teeth start to fall out and you get older and the grinders slow down. He says, those who look through the windows, you can imagine the idea of vision, being able to see clearly. He says, in that day, the keepers of the house will tremble and the strong men are bent. The grinders cease because they're few. Those who look through the windows are dimmed. The doors on the street, the picture there may be of ears and of hearing. He goes on to talk about hearing the birds and and the sound of the grinders. He says, the sound of the grinding is low. And one rises up at the sound of the bird. You're startled by the sound of a bird. But all the daughters of song or all of the birds are difficult to hear in this day, right? He's describing the onset of old age when things that used to work a certain way and you could depend on them cease working the way you thought they would. He says, they are afraid also of what is high. You get to a place in old age where you have to be worried about taking a fall. You have to be worried about the danger on a path you may have tread hundreds or thousands of times before. All of a sudden, to walk on a high trail feels a little more risky as you get older. He says, they're afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. That's a picture of gray hair, which some of us wish we had any hair at all, right? But what are you gonna do? The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. It gets harder to go where you want to go and to get where you want to get. He says, and desire fails. Literally, he talks there about the caperberry, which was uh, something of an aphrodisiac. The last thing he mentions is there's a place in time coming where not only will your eyesight and your, e- ear, your hearing fail, not only will your back be bent and your knees knocked together, your teeth may fall out. You won't be able to do the things you want to do. But there's actually a place even where desire for intimacy will go away. He says, they're afraid also of what is high. Terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. Desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets. Now, the last picture he gives us is a a picture of two tools. One is a lamp and one is a well. He says, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken. Well, the idea there, the picture is of a, a lamp on a silver cord. And if you cut the cord, the lamp falls and it shatters and it's no longer able to hold or keep light. And similarly, he says, or the, or, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. He says, there's a day coming where even sort of gathering the most essential things for life, light and water become next to impossible to do. The ease with which you were able to accomplish those things with the bucket and the cistern and the wheel at the well will become incredibly difficult. Even the most basic things become hard to accomplish. And he says, ultimately, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. He says, the, the, the life, the life within you that God has breathed into you, he will take back, and all the physical matter of your person will return to the dust. Then he finishes, in his voice, he finishes by saying, Hevel, it's all Hevel, right? It's all bananas, it's bonkers. He says, remember, while you're young, because there's a day coming when your life will become evil or it will become painful and you'll start to say, I don't don't have any pleasure in any of this anymore. He says, when that day comes, you're going to want to have remembered that there is a God in heaven and you're not him, right? You're going to want to remember. It's funny, you know, I'm not as old as some people, but I'm getting older. A couple of years ago, I threw my back. I threw my back out the first time Trying to lift a snowmobile when I lived at Hume Lake, it was a bad choice. I regret it, but my back has never been the same since. And a few years ago, I was living in Long Beach, and I threw my back out. Some of you have done this before. I threw my back out so bad on this particular time that I, I couldn't even walk. You know, I'm just—it's like you're just barely able to move. And uh, people be like, "Oh man, you know what happened to you?" And, and they were imagining, you know, that I'd been trying to lift a car off an injured person or something, you know. And I was like, "Uh, yeah, I threw my back out." And they're like, "What were you doing?" You know, maybe they're hoping I was playing baseball or something dramatic. so I was just trying to take a photograph. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I had a, I had a camera and I, I bent down. I'm not even going to do it right now because I don't want to throw my back out again. I just squatted down for a second to take a picture and threw my back out and couldn't walk for two months, right? That's never happened. Why does that happen, right? What's going on with me, right? There is a day coming when your body starts to betray you. And if you were falsely under the impression that you're in control, that you got it all worked out, that you know the ability to buy your house and find your spouse and raise these kids and do all the things you've done, in those moments of joy and cheer, if you falsely believe that you were the author of those, when you get to the point in your life where the porch starts to sag, right, and you can't see out the windows anymore and the doors are shut, and the grasshopper drags himself along, and the almond trees have all turned gray, there is a moment where you'll go, what's happening to me? I've lost my power. I've lost my vigor. I've lost my ability to be a master of the universe. Guess what? Here's the issue. You were never a master of the universe. But when old age comes and when you begin on that final journey to familiar places, your last uh, season around the sun and you start to lose the ability to do things that used to be so easy, if you have not remembered that you are creature rather than creator, the bitterness and pain of that season will be exponentially worse. Exponentially worse. We all know grouchy old people. Anybody in this room know any grouchy old people? Right? (laughs) He's like me, right? Yeah, you might be sitting next to one. We've all met grouchy old people. If you're like me, uh, you know, Jeff and I have had long conversations about just like doing whatever we can to not be grouchy old people when we get old. We've been having that conversation for 25 years or whatever. Uh, We've all met grouchy old people and sometimes it's easy to look at someone who's in the later stages of their life who seems angry and bitter and whatever and and to be like, why do they have to be like that? Well, let's slow down for a second. Think about all that older people are losing Think about the amount of control that they had. Think about the ability to go wherever they wanted to go and do whatever they wanted to do. Think about the fact that they felt like they understood what was happening in the world and what was happening in the culture. And increasingly, everything seems peculiar and weird. Technology moves on. The culture moves on. Your body starts to quit in ways that you never asked for, right? Your friends, some of them die. There's all kinds of things that are systematically being taken away from old people. And it it really isn't that shocking that they're sad. And that sometimes that sadness turns into bitterness and anger and resentment and judgment. A sort of lashing out at other people because of all they have lost and all they are losing. Now, that isn't to say that there aren't young people in the room who experience all of those same things. But what the writer here, Kohelet, is trying to say is there is a way to navigate these losses. And no matter what age you are, or no matter what season of life you currently are in, remember that you're a creature and not the creator now. Because when that difficulty comes, when things start to be taken away from you, when you start to lose, if you forget that you're a creature and not the creator, it will be infinitely more difficult to navigate that season. The end is particularly hard to face, and if you fail to understand that you're a created being, limited in power and control, that you're a seasonal being in time, you'll be frustrated always. I hesitate to refer you back to John the Baptist, but I love John the Baptist, so we're going to talk about him again. Uh, We studied John the Baptist not too long ago, and if you'll remember, in John chapter 3... Uh, his John the Baptist disciples come to him and they're frustrated. you remember that story? John's been baptizing people. He had huge crowds of people being baptized by him. And then Jesus and his disciples show up and all the crowds are going over to Jesus' side of the river. And so John the Baptist's disciples come to him and they're like, hey, what's the deal? That, uh, that lamb of God or whatever you call him, he's taking all our customers over there, right? And John the Baptist, without even a hesitation, he says, and you can look this up later, John 3, I think it's around verse 23, he says, No one receives anything except that which they receive from heaven. You know what John the Baptist has realized? He's a creature and not the creator. He's realized that he is part of the story, but he isn't the writer of the story. He's able to look at his disciples and say, hey, when we had long lines of people here waiting to be baptized, God's the one who did that. And maybe now we only have two or three people and there's a bunch across the river who are over there trying to be baptized by Jesus. That's actually a great place for them to be too. And God's in charge of that also. Whatever, it, whatever season we're in, good, bad, right, hard, easy, full of joy, full of sorrow, whatever season we're in, God is the author of one and the same. The reality is in those moments where things are going smoothly and you feel like you're in control, you're fooling yourself then. What he's saying is don't fool yourself when things are going well. Remember when things are going well, when you're young and you can go wherever you want to go, remember that God is the author of those moments as well. It's his power and not yours. If you haven't remembered your creator before uh, those seasons of loss, you'll be painfully aware of your creaturely nature at the end. You'll be painfully aware of your creaturely nature at the end because that will feel not only like a betrayal of your teeth and your hearing and your eyesight, it will be like a betrayal of your understanding. Does that make sense? It isn't just that your body won't do the things you want it to do. It's that your very worldview is upside down. Where did my power go? Where did my influence go? I feel like the world's passing me by. Oh yeah, I'm a a creature, not the creator. He says in 12, he says, so learn it early. Enjoy the good seasons while you can in preparation for the final season, for your final familiar trip. But I want to say this, too, as we finish. And I've done this every week that I've taught out of Ecclesiastes. I I want to remind you all that while Kohelet's observations are what they are, and they are uncontested in this book, uh, next week when we finish it out, we're not going to hear the the, the narrator say, ah, Kohelet didn't know what he was talking about. He's kind of a downer, kind of a bummer to be around. So just disregard some of that stuff. No, at the end of the book, the the, the author is going to say, Kohelet saw a lot of great things, and he taught a lot of wisdom. and, And actually, he gave us great insight, right? So while his opinions are not uncontested, it's worth reminding you every week that there are answers he didn't have that we do, right? That he didn't have the answers that are provided by the incarnation of Christ, by the death and resurrection of Christ. There are things he's asking about the universe that didn't have good answers at the time except in a sort of a foreshadowing way. But they do have good answers today. So the first of those I want to hit you with this morning is this. No matter what season of life you're in, whether you uh, are young or old, whether you are uh, in a season of cheer or a season of loss, the reality is that one of the things Jesus teaches us and that we learn in Christ is that there's something more important than remembering your creator. Kohelet didn't know it. But the thing that's more important than remembering your creator is remembering that your creator knows you that your creator sees you in whatever situation you're in, whatever season you're in, whatever you're going through, God sees you in your brokenness, in your loss, in your hurt, in your sin and in your righteousness, right? That God sees you and knows you. I love it. Uh, in Luke 23, when Jesus is on the cross and the thief next to him says, what? Remember me when you come into your kingdom, right? Jesus wasn't capable at the time of giving high fives, but I bet he wanted to, right? He says, I'll see you today. I will see you today in paradise. What does Jesus say? Oh yeah, I got you. I got this. I remember you. Jesus himself in John chapter six, listen to what he says. Jesus said to them in John six thirty five, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I said to you that you've seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Our hope does not depend on our ability to understand the world correctly. Our hope does not depend on our ability to interpret the scriptures correctly. Our hope depends entirely on the fact that the God of the universe sees us and died for us, extends to us resurrection life by no work of our own right? And so the first thing I'd want to say to you, is yes, yes, he's right. Remember, your Remember that you're a creature in the good days. But I also want to say to you, don't stress out about it too much because the great news for you is if you forget things from time to time, Jesus remembers you and he will not fail and he will not let you down and he will not misremember you, right? Jesus says, I don't turn loose to anybody the father gives me. Because of that great hope, we also can think about our physical situations a little bit different. Is your house going to crumble in that final season? Yeah, you bet it is. Is the porch going to sag and the, the windows grow dim and the ears plug up a little? Yeah, but listen to this. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. What Paul is saying here is uh, the outside is gonna fall apart sometimes either through persecution and opposition or just the natural course of history. But we're not so worried about the crumbling exterior because God is doing a remodel on the inside, right? Right? There is an internal revitalization project happening where we are being sanctified and we will be glorified and ultimately we will have new bodies. So yeah, does our eyesight fail? Are there times when I'm just trying to take a stupid picture and I can't walk afterwards? Yeah, but I am being made new from the inside out. My hope is not necessarily in this crumbling facade because it's crumbling, but my hope is in the, you know, the interior work that God is doing from the inside out. It's interesting, Jesus says to Peter in John 21, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, he talks to him about his death. Do you remember that? John twenty one eighteen. Jesus says to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, hey, when you were a you younger man, you called the shots. You dressed the way you wanted. You went where you wanted to go. And you, were, you thought you were the king of the universe. But the reality is the day is coming when you won't be able to do any of that for yourself. You'll hold out your hand and somebody else will take you and lead you to a place you didn't ask to go. And he said this in one dimension. He said it in order to tell Peter something about his literal death. But more importantly, what Jesus says in John 21 is actually about the trajectory of the life of every disciple. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, let me tell you that what Jesus says to Peter is as true for you and me as it was for him. There was a day in your life, a day before you had a king. And in that day, you got up and you ate what you wanted and you put on what you wanted and you went where you wanted to go. You called the shots. But the moment that you heard the message of Jesus who says, repent for the kingdom of God is available, and you immigrated. The moment you became an immigrant to the kingdom of God, right? You, you started on a path that leads to a place where you choose less and less and less. He's not just describing the death of Peter. He's describing the death to self of every disciple. That increasingly, we remember we have a creator. We remember that there's a God, and he isn't us. And we stop getting frustrated about choosing our own pants and choosing what music we're going to listen to and choosing what dinner we're going to have. And we become increasingly resigned to the fact that we can hold out our hands and God will lead us to a place we wouldn't have even thought of, right? And if we remember our creator in the good seasons, if we remember that we are creatures and not the creator, then when we get to those seasons where we're being led by the hand to places we didn't ask to go, there can be fruit in that life. I love what it says in Psalm 92. And we'll finish up here this morning. Psalm 92 says this, listen. Psalm 92.12 says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord and they flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. You might be tempted to go, okay, I think I understand what Ecclesiastes is saying. It's saying there's a day coming when I won't be able to hear and see as well. My body will start to deteriorate and I just need to be resigned to that and just sort of like just kind of power my way through by remembering God's in control. No, that's not as good as what I'm trying to get you to, right? I'm not saying resign yourself to a miserable old age, what I'm pointing you to is that in light of who Jesus is and the internal remodel that he's doing in our lives, the reality is that no matter how old you are, whether you're 14 or 84, the Bible says that your life can produce fruit to the glory of God. And the difference is, what are you rooted in? Right? This tree that is described in 92, it says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree, like a cedar uh, growing in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of God. Well, what is that? It's a recognition that there is a God, and it's not them. This philosophy that Kohelet gives us is a reminder that it is possible in every season. I, I know I know, for some of you that are older, because I'm not, I'm not that old yet, but I'm getting older, That as the seasons get harder and things get more difficult, it gets harder to get out and to go places and do all those things, that it's easier to just be like, you know what? I'm just going to coast. And I think the encouragement for us as we look at what Kohelet has said is that if you remember your creator in the days of joy, then even in the days of pain and in the days of loss, you will see the opportunity because of who your king is to recognize there is fruit that can be produced in you in every season. That no matter how old the tree, there can be green sap that produces fruit to the righteousness of God in every tree, right? That all of us, no matter what season, you might have gotten a terrible diagnosis recently, or you might have lost a loved one, or you might have lost your job, or your family may be falling apart in front of you, or things happening you never asked for, right? And the call here of Kohelet at the end is, hey, you're going to be ultimately so angry and frustrated all the time, if, it, if all of that just feels like somehow you lost your power, but if you can remember that you didn't have the power in the first place and the one who had the power when things were good is the same one who has the power now that things are hard, there is the ability for green sap that produces fruit to pump through your veins in every season, even in your last time in that familiar journey around the sun. Would you pray with me? God, it's an easy thing to say and it's a harder thing to do to remember that you are in control, that you are God and we are not, that there is a God and you're not us. Would you help us to be people who in the happy times and in the powerful times and in the the moments of promotion and joy and cheer in life would remember that you were the author of all of it so that in the seasons when the sun and the light and the moon grow dim and the grasshopper drags himself along that we would remember nothing about you has changed that your plan and purposes for us remains the same and that we would find hope that we would find joy in recognizing that the outside structure may be crumbling but the remodel that's happening inside is your work within us and it will not fail we pray these things in jesus name amen